Good afternoon, church. Uh, so, uh, as Kevin said, we've got the um, apologetics thing this evening, so I encourage all of you to uh, see if you can get back for that. If you're hanging around, great. If not, go eat, come back. Uh, so this is great today that I'm able to just give a bit of a, a forerunner to that uh, with the message, as Kevin's already shared, on evangelism and the believer. Evangelism and the believer. So that is uh, the title of our message. I want to give a scripture reading to lay the foundation this afternoon, which is from 1 Peter 3.15. Do have your Bibles, please, at the ready. There will be some pretty large portions of scripture we will come to, which I will need you to turn to. Uh, We've got a little while till we get there. So 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let us pray, Father, as we uh, uh, ponder your word today, there will be many, many scriptures we're going to go through. Lord, would you speak to us through your word? It is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, may you just speak to us. Teach us, we pray, Lord, as we ponder this wonderful heart of yours, Lord, which is for the lost. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So evangelism, what is it? Well, I like the following definition I came across from Ligonier Ministries. It says evangelism is the term we use to refer to the preaching of the gospel. It comes from the same Greek word for gospel, euangelion, and means literally gospeling. When we evangelize, we are gospeling. We are spreading the gospel, or you might say, the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, every single one of you more than likely came to the Lord through being evangelized. Now, now that might have been your parents, a family member, a friend, or perhaps it was a complete stranger on the street. However... And by whomever it took place, there was someone, probably even a number of people, as is true with me, that the Lord used in your life to preach the gospel, which ultimately brought about your salvation. So ask yourself this, how important is evangelism? Well, without it, I would suggest that probably none of you would be sat here today. So it should rank pretty high on your list of priorities. Without someone having taken the time to evangelize you and me, then perhaps you would still be lost and dead in your trespasses and sins. A sobering thought. Who knows what your life would be like today? Speaking personally, I would be pretty certain that my life would be a complete wreck. Who knows what untold harm I might have done to myself and to others. Romans 10:17 states, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, one scripture I didn't get in today was the one that Kevin read, which was really good. I'd already sent in the list yesterday and I wondered about adding some things, but um, he said it anyway, which was, which was brilliant. At some point, I would hazard a guess that you have all heard the saying, wherever you go, preach the gospel, and if you have to, use words. Whilst I understand the sentiment behind this saying, 
And whilst it is true that our lives are to be a living testimony before men in order to draw people to Christ, it is, however, of primary importance that we use words. If Romans 10.17 is to be understood, we must ensure that the word of God is spoken. It is his word that the Holy Spirit takes and uses to enlighten our understanding and ultimately is his word that speaks to our hearts. So where did the call to evangelize come from? It was Jesus himself that gave the call. Following the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were gathered together, reclining at the table. Mark 16, 15 records the following words. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It is what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. The call is just as relevant today, some 2,000 years later, as it was then. Thank the Lord for his long-suffering, which has enabled the gospel to reach so many over the centuries. Uh, we often say to ourselves, come Lord Jesus, or as Haley likes to say, Maranatha, which is great. And whilst this is right and true, there remains the fact that Jesus, in his long-suffering, is still about the business of saving souls. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We read of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Just pop your finger, you don't have to pop in this one now, but pop your finger ready in the Gospels. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Uh, note Jesus' words here. What does he say? Does he say, go and convert people? Does he say, go and save people? Does he say, go and love people? While some of those things may be true, his words here are very specific. What he says is, go therefore and make disciples. That is important. So let's take a moment to think about this word disciple that we all use, used in the New Testament. Uh, disciple Mathetes, or Mathetes, depending how you want to pronounce that, means learner or student. Uh, for his adherence, Jesus alone is teacher and master or rabbi. A Christian, that is you and me, is always and only a student in relation to Jesus. There are three aspects detailed in this text involved in making disciples. Number one, we are to go make disciples. Number two, we have to baptize them. And number three, we are to teach them. Now, this command has been given to preach the gospel to make disciples might appear somewhat daunting, especially to a new believer. Some of you are relatively new believers within a few years today. You may be daunted and you may not feel naturally bent towards sharing the gospel. 
I think that can resonate with many of us, especially in our early days. But if we look carefully at the text, we will see something which I want to greatly encourage you with. Jesus said, what did he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. How much authority is that? Do you see it? Did he say some or a little bit? No, he said all authority. Not only that, he said all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Now, last I checked, there is nobody in existence that trumps God. That is to say, there is nobody who outranks him or can defeat him. Uh, perhaps you know the popular top game, Top Trumps. All my children have loved this game as little ones, especially. The best part is we, when you come across a Top Trump card, you've got it in your hand, and it's got a rating that cannot be beaten. And you get this big smile on your face as you come up against the other players. My youngest daughter, Lavanna, if she was in here today, would have a big beaming smile. She knows. She's a big fan of the game. And you just know from this big smile and this confidence as she beams from ear to ear and she holds in her hand this guaranteed winner. <laughs> well, when you have a card like this, you know you cannot be beaten and it gives you this confidence in knowing you have the ultimate card in your hand. Uh, what we'd call a total game changer. And it's this card with absolute power and authority over all the other cards in the pack. Well, if we can use this as an analogy today then we could say that we hold, all of us today, the ultimate card in our hands. We have been sent on a mission from the one who has all authority in both heaven and on earth. There is nobody greater than Jesus. There is nobody of any higher authority than the God of heaven and earth. It is from this vantage point that I think we should take great comfort knowing that we have been given this mission from the one who conquered sin, conquered Satan, conquered the grave, and who evermore lives and is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. This is the ultimate top trump. We should look out over the harvest with a smile and a calmness in our spirit that is with the authority of Jesus we are being sent to go out and preach the gospel and make disciples. It might not be an easy task, but we should be fired up to go in the power of the Spirit with the authority of the King of Kings. Those careful students among you today will note what it says at the end of the text. What does it say? It says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So not only are we sent with the authority of Jesus himself, we are also assured that he himself will be with us even to the end of the age. Nobody trumps Jesus. Nobody. Now, perhaps, even with having said all that, you are still sat here today or listening online and you say to yourself, I just cannot share the gospel. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not confident enough. I'm not yet equipped with enough Bible knowledge to share the gospel with unbelievers, be it family, friends, or worse, a complete stranger on the street. Some of you are good at it. Some are still scared of it. Perhaps you think you're just not expert enough, clever enough, or brave enough to articulate the gospel. The task is too daunting. Well, let me share with you from 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen what? 
the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That what? No flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God has chosen you not only for himself to become his child, he's also called you in your weakness to preach the gospel, to draw men unto himself and that he would get the glory. In speaking of the cross, Jesus said the following in John 12, 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Well, he was lifted up from the earth when they hoisted him up on the cross. And if you are still not convinced enough, you still need me to convince you today, well, just look at Rob Hall or Reese Hughes. I mean, look what God can do. Look what he's done with them. Surely that could convince you. Just joking. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of who? Of God and not of us. We are all called to evangelize. The heart of our God, the heart of Jesus, the heart of the Holy Spirit is to evangelize. All four Gospels end with the call to evangelize and we're going to look at it now. This emphasizes the requirement upon all of us to be about the business of sharing the gospel. We've read from Matthew, so if you can keep your finger in the Gospels, I want you to turn to these passages. They are quite long, I warn you in advance, but I want us as a church to read them together, to hear from the Lord directly. We talk about his word, let's hear from his word what he says for ourselves. So Mark 16, 14 to 20, I'll give you a second. Mark 16, 14 to 20. We'll go fairly quick. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Turn to Luke 24, I'll give you a second, 24, 36 to 53. Again, that's Luke 24, 36 to 53. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, suppose they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. And then John 20, flip the, the pages over to John 20, 19 to 23. John 20, 19 to 23. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, give the, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And in addition, we read Jesus' last words in Acts 1, 4-8. If you just flip over to Acts 1, 4-8, and keep your finger around about these pages because we'll have a few more a bit later. Acts 1, 4-8, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know time or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Don't miss that point. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Thanks for reading with me. So we can be sure without any hesitation or shadow of doubt that the call on us to evangelize the world has been made abundantly clear. It is without question. The Holy Spirit has been sent and given to empower us to do so. Don't miss that in the text. That is where the power comes from. So we can even look further back in the life of Christ to when Jesus gathered his disciples to follow him. When he began his public ministry, he did not go it alone, but he chose men to go with him and to share the good news of the kingdom. Turn again to Luke 5, 1 to 11. Luke 5, 1 to 11. I don't have these on the board because they are quite long. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. 
Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put a little from the land, put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus called the first disciples to be fishers of men. I love that. I love that. We as disciples are to be fishers of men. God could have chosen some other means of spreading the gospel. He has chosen to entrust the message to people, to those he has saved, that is you and me, ordinary people, not those with special powers, not some elite group hidden amongst society. We could do a whole study looking at the people that Jesus called to follow him in the Gospels. Time does not avail us to look deeply at this today. But when you really take time to ponder this, it is an awesome and weighty responsibility that is given to us. God has entrusted to us this Gospel. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the Gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. We should be thus motivated to share the good news of the gospel. If it has been so wonderfully entrusted to us, not to mention that we ourselves came to Christ through another believer, having faithfully shared the gospel which was entrusted to them. And we should all do all we can to share this same truth with our unbelieving family, friends, and even the stranger on the street. We should desire to see those enslaved to sin free from the power of sin. For we know that narrow is the gate that leads to salvation, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. James and I have talked about this often, the narrow gate. Matthew seven thirteen to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. The Bible does not pull any punches when it comes to giving us the cold, hard realities of life and death. Have a think about what is being said here. Enter through the narrow gate. One of the seven I am's of Jesus is recorded in John 10, 9 to 10. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. 
Jesus did not say that he is a door. He said he is the door. There is no other way except through Jesus. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There are many roads to hell. I struggled this week putting this together. I don't know why that was. Perhaps it's the sobering thought of the, that weighty responsibility of talking on evangelism. There are many roads that lead to hell. Every religion out there will take you there. Every road paved with the rejection of Jesus Christ will take you there. That is why the Bible urges us to enter through the narrow gate. Christianity is exclusive. There is no getting around it. This should motivate us to share the good news of the gospel. We need the heart of Jesus. Paul shared the heart of Jesus. Let us consider a few passages of Scripture to showcase this heart. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' whole mission was to seek and save the lost. He wept over those that rejected him. Luke 19.41-42 Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you especially this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. We see a great passion for the lost in the heart of Paul, a heart transformed by the power of the gospel. Paul, who formerly persecuted the church, having believers imprisoned, even consenting to the death of Stephen, the first martyr, for his faith in Jesus Christ. If you would turn with me to Acts 7:54. That's Acts 7, 54 to 8, 3. We'll read it again together. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The Christian just falls asleep. I was listening about this recently. We don't die, we fall asleep. And we wake up in glory. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to prison. Look at the transformative power of the gospel as we consider Saul or Paul following his conversion. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Romans 9, 1-3, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying, 
my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, for my countrymen according to the flesh. I do not believe Paul's words here are hyperbole. I don't. I believe Paul, as a new creation in Christ Jesus, shared the heart of his Lord. Brothers and sisters, the challenge to you this day is, has your heart been so changed so as to motivate you to spend and be spent for the sake of the lost? If we want to reach the lost, we really need to share the heart of God. So what, what hinders us? What hinders us? Many things. We've already covered the authority with which we have been sent. Let's take a bit of time to address perhaps some of the things that hinder us. Some of the misconceptions we might have that inhibit us from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Here is a brief list to some things that likely prevent us from answering the call to evangelize. Unbelief. Fear. Fear of failure. Fear of inadequacy. Fear of rejection. Fear of acceptance. Intimidation. Lack of preparation in knowledge of the word and in various methods of evangelism. Peer pressure. Comfort. We don't let, like getting out of our comfort zone. Ignorance of the true power of the gospel. When you boil it down to its core, it all comes down to, I believe, a lack of either faith and trust in him or misplaced fear. Do we really believe the words of Paul in Romans 1, 16 to 17? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Remember the extremely high regard which faith holds with God. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Paul had his faith rightly placed in Jesus Christ and his word. If we are living in fear then we should consider a right attitude to fear. What is a right attitude to fear? I'm sure you all know Proverbs 9.10. The fear of what? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Do we fear the Lord above all else? Do you fear the Lord above all else? Do I fear the Lord above all else? That should be our starting point. Any fear of man is a wrong attitude of fear. As we saw with Stephen, the first martyr, who did he fear? He feared the Lord. He gazed up into heaven and heaven received him as Christ was standing to receive him unto himself. We should be stepping out in faith as we share the good news of the gospel. It is good news. Trusting the Holy Spirit, as we've read, to do the work. Taking his word and using it to bring about salvation. John 16, 13-15 However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you 
into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit will take what Jesus has done and he will do the work. As Jesus said in John 16, 5 to 11, But now I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So we see clearly that it is not our words that possess any power. Rather, it is his word that is powerful. And the Holy Spirit takes his word and uses it to convict and convince sinners to come to repentance. We should absolutely, earnestly contend for the faith. Again, I've talked to James about this. We must say much and many things, but as much as possible, we should speak the word. It is always amazing to me how the Word of God gets so embedded on our hearts and minds, and when required, the Spirit brings things to our mind that we have need of. We are really conduits of His love and His Word as we humble ourselves and allow Him to work through us. We are simply vessels to be used by Him to accomplish His will and purposes in our lives and the lives of those we come into contact with. This should really be so freeing to us because there is nobody else apart from God in all of history that has ever saved a single soul. Salvation is the work of God. He alone saves. God does his work not because of us, but in spite of us. Even through our many faults and failures, he works. And his word is his primary means of speaking. As we are reminded in Hebrews 11.1, 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. We should simply pray with boldness to speak with confidence as we see in Acts 4.29. Now look, Lord, on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Listen to this wonderful quote from Charles Spurgeon. It's not on the board. If you want it afterwards, I will send it to you. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be the converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, till we would exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the word of God to give it power to convert the soul. So we must know the message. We must know his word. His word must be treasured and hidden in our hearts and minds so that we may boldly proclaim to a lost and dying world the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
To quote the opening verse of today's message, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So what is the message that we are to preach? And do we need to have a, a deep theological understanding of the entire Bible? Uh, additionally, does the non-believer have to have a deep theological understanding of the, the entire Bible in order to be saved? Well, to answer the second and third question first, no. No, neither the, the believer nor the unbeliever needs to have a deep theological understanding of the Bible. So we can knock out this misconception for those that say, I don't know enough. Did the thief on the cross have his theology revised and watertight in order to comprehend the work of Jesus Christ, in order to make it through the pearly gates? You remember the two thieves. One of them made it. Does Jesus give a masterful sermon in his dying breaths in order to bring the thief to repentance and salvation? The sermon was in the act, but did he give an oral sermon? Of course not, of course not. The thief simply had enough understanding of his sinfulness and his need for a saviour to have uttered the words we read in Luke 23, 39 to 43. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God? Remember what I said about fear? Do you not fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's the heart of the gospel. If that doesn't motivate us, I don't know what will. So what are the essentials that we must understand? What are the basic principles that must be communicated in the gospel message for salvation? Number one, a person must recognize their sinfulness before a holy God. Number two, a person must recognize their need for a savior. Number three, a person must recognize that Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. Exactly what we see taking place with the thief on the cross. That's the heart of our God. We see this exact message preached by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The message Jesus gave instructions to be proclaimed has already been quoted in Luke. Luke 24, 46-47. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Paul was called to be a witness. Acts 22.15 For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Let's take a look at the scriptures for three things that you must believe about Jesus for salvation. Number one, Jesus is God. 1 John 1.1 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning what? The word of life. Number two, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to God. 
John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And number three, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Acts 4, 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There are many, many Bible verses that can be used in evangelizing. All right, here is a list which I'd like to get sent out to you if you want. So speak to me after, or maybe Kevin will send it out on the, the church email to have in your armory. There are key verses in sharing the gospel message. You can commit them to memory. You can print them off. Keep on little cards to hand out to people that you meet. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wage of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. There are many more you could use, but I just wanted to highlight some today for your consideration. Uh, so I mentioned earlier that we must use words in sharing the gospel. More specifically, we must use his word. Now, I do not want you to misunderstand or misinterpret me here and neglect the importance our very lives play in sharing the gospel for the sake of the kingdom. Our lives are to serve as a witness to those around us. Now, none of us are perfect, except if you've got teenage boys today. They're never wrong. In fact, even when they're wrong, they're actually right. This might resonate with some of you with teenage boys. But in all seriousness, we are not talking here about perfection. We are talking about a life that honors the Lord. A life in service to the King. A life that stands apart from the world and which says there is something different about that person. You've all had those experiences. You meet someone in a workplace. Ah, you're like, something different about them. I think they're a believer, you know. And you find out they are. What is it that's different? What is it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 24 to 29. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, they also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So we are all called to be salt and light. Salt and light. Matthew five thirteen to 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. 
You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are to do all things without complaining and grumbling. Ouch. That hurts, right? Say it again. We are to do all things without complaining and grumbling. Philippians 2, 14-15 Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Our speech should be fitting for someone that professes Jesus Christ. Colossians 4, 6 Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to fear each one. And finally, we should not neglect to pray. Jesus prayed. His word instructs us to pray. I know Kevin, as he said today, is very excited to see the fruit that will come from this 24 hours of prayer that we've had. Uh, watch this space, as he said, because this will likely be something that will become more regular in the life of this church. So we should pray. We should pray. James 5.16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Rob has already taught on prayer, so it should be fresh in your minds. And if it's not, then go back, go back and listen to it. You've got all these sermons on the website. Go back and listen to them. But we can take note of a few scriptures today just to highlight the importance of praying in relation to evangelizing. Romans 10.1 Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Colossians 4.3-4 Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Acts 4:29. Now look, Lord, uh, so look yet, yeah, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Speaking the word. So in closing, what should be our main takeaways from this message? We are all responsible for evangelizing. Now some of us, some select elite bunch, all of us. Challenge yourself. Do you have a heart to reach the lost? You do not need some special anointing to do it. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us. Jesus has given us the authority and he will be with us. Speak the word of God. Speak the word of God. Witness with our very lives. And do not neglect to pray. And finally, I will leave with you with a few quotes to ponder as you go out today. A famous missionary, Jim Elliot, who quite literally laid down his life with four other missionaries for the sake of the gospel, which led to the salvation of the members of the Wayadani tribe, once said, I'm sure you'll know it, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Are you willing 
to spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel and the salvation of others. Those guys gave their lives. Charles Thomas Studd was an English missionary who faithfully served his saviour in China, India and Africa. His motto was, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And he also said the following, which I love. I thought it was someone else, but as I looked it up, it was actually this man, apparently. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Saints, we should not neglect to gather together in keeping with what our Lord has commanded. We are not to neglect the assembling together of the saints. The scriptures are clear. But the mission is out there. The mission is out there, isn't it? So we must look out. We must reach out. The world, our non-believing family, that will resonate probably with everyone in this room, non-believing friends, even the stranger on the street have no other hope than that which is offered in and through Jesus Christ, the narrow door. It is Jesus that died on the cross. It is Jesus that rose from the dead. It is Jesus that ascended into heaven. And it is Jesus that is coming back to take us to be with him forever. May we be found busy about his work for the sake of the lost and for the glory of our God. Let's close in prayer. I'm just going to invite the worship team to come up. Father, your word is sobering sometimes. And while we should be filled with joy and hope and wonder and awe, we must take it seriously. We must reach out to the lost. It is your heart, Father. It is the reason you came to seek and to save that which is lost. Lord, as we go out into next week, into this coming week, May you give us opportunity to share Christ, to share the wonder of salvation, that assurance of an eternity forever and ever and ever spent in your presence, where we will glorify you, where we will sing your praises forevermore. Lord, be pleased to receive the worship of our lips as we sing your praises today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.